Last Sunday, we uh, shared what I believe is one of the most formative texts in all of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you, if you wanted to look for one passage of Scripture to start every day with, this would be the passage that I would recommend, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is almost like an inventory. Today, will I be a person who is loving? Will I express the joy of Christ? Will I be a person who brings peace and shows patience, etc., etc.? Again, I can't think of a better passage to start every day with. We noted last Sunday that this text is situated in the greater context that we referred to last week as between two trees, the tree of life that we encounter in Genesis chapter 2, and that same tree of life that we encounter again in Revelation 22. Just a quick glance at those passages beginning in Genesis 2. Now the Lord God garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and were good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then if we roll the clock forward all the way to the last chapter in our Bibles, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, Down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. And notice this language, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. That's that's the last act of God as far as this between the tree season is concerned when the curse of man is rolled away and, and the intentions of God are put completely back into the place. This tree of life, the tree of life in the garden, and the tree of life in the New Jerusalem serve as great bookends of the story of God. From the beginning of Genesis, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. And I I think we can refer today to what happens between these two locations. I think a phrase we could use to describe it is the great and between the tree in the beginning and in the end. And and, isn't and an intriguing word? I mean, how many times a day do you use the word and in your vocabulary? Dozens? Possibly sometimes a hundred times or more? And is a great word. We use it to uh, describe relationships. You know, mac and cheese butter and jelly, chocolate and everything. I mean, isn't that awesome how it works out that way? But it also can be used to identify a state of being um, between. The word and can be used to describe a state of being between. And that's really the application that we're looking for today as we use this phrase, living in the and. As we noted last Life between the trees, man, it's hard. It gets so many challenges that come our way. It can be very, very difficult 
But as we talked about last Sunday, reframing our understanding of what it means to live between the trees, it empowers us by God's holiness to find hope and purpose. Offer hope and purpose to others in Christ's name. We observed last Sunday that the world God intended, that's not the world we live in. But the world we live in provides opportunity to restore the world God intended. Can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. How do we do that? How do we help restore this world that God intended? Well, last Sunday we noted that we do the exact same thing that Adam and Eve were tasked to do, and that is we work to take care of what God has given us. We work to take care of what God has given us, this body, our relationship, uh, husband to wife, wife to husband, children, grandparents, brothers and sisters in Christ, we constantly work to take care of what God has entrusted us with. And I I want to refer to that this morning as learning to live in the and. Learning to live in the and. And so think about just a moment with me. We have the great and. If this side of the stage represented the tree in the garden and, and this side represented the tree in Revelation, that's the great and. And what is the great and comprised of? Is it not um, a collection of other little ands that we all experience between our birth and our the ups and downs of life, good and bad, life and death, gain and loss? And you see the others that are listed there on screen. Um, If we took the rest of the afternoon... We could not exhaust all of the possibilities that we encounter in this lifetime when we think about the number of ends that are before us. Here's a question that I want to process with you today. How will we use our ends in the context of the great end? If you think about it, I believe this is one of the key questions that the Bible answers again and again and again. Love one another in the end. Serve one another in the end. Draw close to Jesus. Grow in faith. Care for the sick. Pray for one another. Sing songs of worship. The list goes on and on and on. And we're not just told in the Bible to live this way. We are given examples of others who did live their lives this way, who did use their opportunities to bring honor to God as they walked as disciples of Jesus in the plural ands of his ministry and beyond and in the great and life between the trees. So I want to draw your attention this morning to Acts chapter 20. We're going to examine how the Apostle Paul, um, how he handled one of the most significant and moments of his life. So we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus. 
for the elders of the church. And there's some discrepancy here on how much distance this covers. It could be anywhere from uh, 20 miles to, to as many as 40 miles. Regardless, it's a pretty long way for a group of men to come at that day and time. But because they love Paul, they wasted no time. They came to him in Miletus. And when they arrived, he said to them, Brothers, you, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day that I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with, with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I, I've taught you publicly and also from house to house. I've declared to both the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. I, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships, that's going to be my lot. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There are so many pieces that we could, we could talk about this morning of this amazing text, but there are a couple of things I want to just process with you this morning for your prayerful consideration. We're going to look first at a little bit of broader application, and then I want to examine a caveat that is very timely for an and moment that is before us as a church family. One of the first things I notice about this text is, is that when facing a major turning point in his life, Paul reaches out to others. Paul reaches out to others. Anybody in the room ever make a decision, maybe a major decision, but possibly not so major but important, that you wish, in retrospect, you would have asked someone's advice on. Anybody ever make a decision like that? Yeah, yeah. I think there is power in togetherness. I think there is power in seeking out the counsel and the encouragement and the support of others. Because I don't know about you, but as I look at our world, there's one thing that I'm noticing, and it seems to be getting louder and louder as the years progress, and that is, church family, I, I believe that our individualism is killing us. I think our individual, I, I think it's just doing us in as a culture. Think about the me focus that is so prevalent these days. Phrases that might sound familiar, I, I can do this. I know what's best. If everybody would only see things my way, have you ever heard this one? If I had my way, you ever heard that? Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
On the road to Damascus, Jesus speaks to Paul out loud. The Holy Spirit speaks to Paul. Often the Holy Spirit is guiding his pen as he writes letters to churches. And yet, this man who who directly hears the voice of Jesus, this man who is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, what does he choose to do? He chooses to reach out to others. So lesson one from this text on how we use our... Church, when facing turning points in life, reach out to others. Consider processing with those who are a little bit ahead of you. Considering praying with those who are facing some of the same kinds of challenges and dilemmas. Be open to be a sounding board to those who are just a little bit behind, getting ready to face some of those challenges. Let's focus about this wonderful gift of just leaning into each other and processing with each other and praying with each other, specifically when we find ourselves in times of transition, when we find ourselves in those moments that we are in the ends of life. Second, as I look at this text, this gets my attention, our aim impacts our end. Our aim impacts our end. Acts 20, 24, however, Paul writes, I consider, or says these elders, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of, say those last two words with me, God's grace, God's grace. Now, I got to tell you, I don't hear this type of language very much these days. I mean, when asked, hey, hey man, what are you up to today? How many of us reply, my only aim today is to testify to the good news of God's grace? How many of us answer that way? If there's ever a target that is worth aiming for, can you think of a better one? I mean, can you imagine at your funeral if every single person walked by your casket said of you, you know, his only aim was to testify to the good news of God's grace. Now, I don't know if they'll say that about us or not. I hope somebody will. If we were to live our lives this way, that our aim Our lives will be a living testimony to the good news of God's grace. I think that's using our lives hopefully. I think that's using our lives purposefully. And so those are some of the the two big takeaways that I see as I examine this text. One anotherness in those and moments of life and also being individuals understand that our aim, what we're aiming at impacts what happens, the outcomes of our ands. And in this case, let's be people who are testifying to the good news of God's grace. I want to shift a little bit to a more immediate application opening for our church family. And I hope you notice this in the text. Paul could have reached out to anybody in this season of being in the and. But he chose to reach out to the elders of the church. 
He could have reached out to any world leader, any person of influence, any protege, any ministry partner. He could have reached out to anybody, but he chooses to reach out to the elders of the church. So Paul had appointed many of these men. He worked side by side with them. He had encountered blessings and he had encountered hardship. And through the testing of their faith, Paul knew that he could draw strength from their character, from their courage, and from their commitment to the cause of Christ Jesus. Church, Paul could have reached out to any out to the elders of the church. Now surely this tells us that Paul had a very powerful with these brothers and versa. And this is where this gets really interesting. That's not all. Luke, who is the author of Luke, could have recorded any of Paul's speeches to Christians. Now, he records multiple speeches of Paul to other groups, but he only records one speech to Christians in the book of Acts. So which speech does he record? Luke records Paul's speech to the elders of the church. Something's going on here. There's a, there's a threat in the mix, not just to Paul's life, but to the life of the church in Ephesus. The text continues beginning at verse 28, and this is Paul's counsel to these elders. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Now, I want to clarify something here. I'm not sharing this text today because I fear that savage wolves are about to come in when I leave. Okay, I want to make sure you understand that. But the truth is, this phenomenon, it's already occurring in Ephesus, or at least the seeds are being planted. Opponents of Paul are trying to discredit him. They're trying to prejudice others against the validity of his teaching. And Paul fears that things are only going to get worse. As a matter of fact, he prophesies here, even from your own number, men will arise and they will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And so, you elders, you be on your guard. Remember, for three years, I never stopped warning you, every night and day with tears. And now... And now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, because that's what's going to build you up and give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. Paul encourages the elders to be on their guard. Why? I think because it is in the And in those moments of transition, when people often try to find an extreme in which to gravitate. But I want you to notice one of the final pieces of this in the end 
moment when we learn to balance between life and death and good and bad and wonderful times and difficult times, this phenomenon of living in the end, I want you to notice one of the final pieces responds with these brothers in this in the end moment. They could have chosen any response. Just like Paul could have reached out to anybody. Just like Luke could have any speech. They could have chosen any response. But they choose the following. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And this is not just a call, and this just blows my mind. This is not just a call for the elders at Ephesus to pray. Scholar F.F. points out something that is just so intriguing to me about this text. The speech is not only his farewell speech to them and to the church that they represented, but so far as the perspective of Acts is concerned, his last will and testament to the churches which he had planted both east and west of the Aegean Sea. You see, church, this speech is a final call of the Apostle Paul to elders everywhere. Elders in the great and, between two trees, and elders in the many ands of life. That's why it's critical when congregations appoint new shepherds. It's why it's critical when we interact with those shepherds who are currently serving that we do so prayerfully and purposefully and patiently. Well, why these words today, you may be thinking? Well, here's why. Today, we are calling our church family to prayer as we prepare to identify and appoint new pastoral elders to our leadership team. And if COVID taught us anything as a church, it has revealed to our leadership team that we need more shepherds to meet um, and help guide the many uh, spiritual and pastoral needs of growing flock. And we want our newcomers to know, us who are here, we want you to know that you are one of the main reasons that we are having this conversation. Your spiritual welfare, your growth as disciples of Jesus Christ is extremely important to us. And we want to make sure that you've got one or more shepherds with whom you can connect as you begin your journey here. And we also know that our established families face many challenges and that you often need a loving shepherd to come alongside you and help you weather the storms and celebrate the victories in these and. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to share some details of the process with you. Later this week, you will get a reminder through our Wednesday update. And if you're on our email list, just please go by the Welcome Center on your way out. They'll make sure to get you on our email distribution list. You can also email info at amchurch.net. But today, 
really for the next three weeks, but starting today, the elders and the ministry staff simply call you to prayer. And I recommend that when you are praying, you don't have to do this, but I recommend out of a sign of humility and and relying on the Lord to lead us through this process, I recommend that you take the same posture that Paul and the elders of the church took in Acts chapter 20 and verse 36. When Paul had, had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And I want us to pray together this morning. Let's launch this season of prayer with prayer. I can't think of a better way to do that. After we finish this prayer, we're going to share a song together. And I'm going to be in the Welcome Center after the assembly is over. I'll make my way back there in a few minutes. If you want to have a conversation about anything today, baptism or prayers for healing or want to set up a Bible study, whatever it might be, I'll be very, very happy. Uh, If I'm not back there, a couple of our elders will be to have conversation with you about that. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Lord, from the beginning of time, we see in Scripture and throughout history, we see in Scripture your people standing before you seeking your counsel, praising your name, identifying, Father, through your word and through your leading and through your guidance, how we are to navigate the various and moments of life. Father, we as a church are in a season where we are seeking, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, brothers in the Lord who will help lead and guide this church And respond, Father, to the many pastoral needs and opportunities that are before us. And so, Father, as we enter this season of prayer, I pray for open minds and open hearts. Help us, Lord, to see those brothers uh, who are already ministering to others, who have the gift, Father, of pastoral leadership. Lord, would you give us names? Would you give us faces? And Father, as we get into the nuts and bolts of the process next Sunday and beyond, would you give this church family a peace deep in our hearts, knowing that you are in charge, Father, and that if we just trust you, help us to know, Lord, that you will indeed show us the way forward. Father, we love you. We are grateful for opportunities uh, in the great and to live into these moments, Father when we need to be in your word and on our knees in prayer. Convict us, Lord, of the importance of this season because we know that it's going to impact the trajectory of this church for many, many years to come. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Father, above all, for mercy and grace. In Jesus we pray. Amen.